On April 16th, Showtime unleashed a new serialized program that has already been dubbed by the AV Club quite possibly the scariest show on TV. On this podcast, we discuss the most recent installment of a different series every show. Today's focus is on the highly anticipated Waco The Aftermath, a sequel miniseries to 2018's Waco. So join us as we explore this thrilling world of cults, crime, and everything in between. Welcome to today's episode. I just decided to do a game about the actor since the subject matter is pretty dark. Mm-hmm. Just four statements, true or false, uh, and you have to guess which one's true or false. So the first one is, much like his movie star role on the menu, John Leguizamo is actually doing a traveling docu-series where he is traveling to New York, Miami, Puerto Rico, and much more. So this has nothing to do with Waco, the yeah. series. It's just a question about John Leguizamo. Yeah. Um, He's doing so much these days. So I'm going to go ahead and say no. Actually, that is true. (laughs) He's doing a show on MSNBC. I just found that so strange. You know, so many people do this. It feels as many people do podcasts as then also (laughs) make it. Like actors. Actors decide they're either going to do a podcast or they're going to tour the world with their, and then like check their own background in history or like. I think Stanley Tucci did the same thing as well. Which one? The food one or the. I think it was a travel food show. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so the second one is Michael Shannon has only ever received two Academy Awards for best. Uh, supporting actor revolutionary roads and nocturnal animals oh um false that's actually true all right so you went all true (laughs) (laughs) the the third one is david costable plays judge smith in this show and michael shannon are both close with director rian johnson shannon starred in his film knives out and costable made a cameo in glass onion does rian johnson have anything to do with this no no okay all right uh i haven't seen glass onion i will say false as well Okay, you're correct. And then the last one is Giovanni Ribsi, who plays Dan Cogdell in this set. Aside from the offer in Avatar, this is one of his favorite and most important roles that he feels he has acted in. Uh, false. <laughs> yeah, okay, so you got the last two Yeah, correct. well, I figured you went two and two. The thing about his character is... That's Sneaky Pete, by the way, if you, if yeah. you don't know who that is. Okay, um, yeah, the acting across the board for both the first season what i consider the first season uh waco that came out in 2018 and then this one are always going to be or have been really 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 good um i don't see anybody who would go into this show who wouldn't watch the first series first you have to yeah sort of because uh, there's three reasons first of all waco aftermath like i said is part of like the second season it's a follow-up it's not a prequel it's not a spin-off It would definitely spoil a good amount of what happened in the 2018 Mm -hmm. miniseries. There's this returning actors, same time period, and they even splice in a lot of scenes from the 2018 series when they're explaining things to try to catch people up who who have just jumped in or who don't remember. Um, The other reason is that there are a lot of accounts and versions of history and preconceived notions about what happened at Waco. And so not a lot of it has been conclusively proven But what is clear is that the ATF and the FBI fucked up hard. But if you want to know exactly how the show presented it to begin with so that you're not heading into the site with like like misinformation for how they've determined what they've determined, then you're going to have to watch that first season. And then uh, the last reason is that the 2018 series is just better. Um, You can explore the consequences of Waco and it will make for compelling television for sure. But it's not going to be anywhere as eye-opening or intense or aggravating as it was watching the 51 days unfold 
in the first season. Right. So those are that's my pitch. If for any reason someone has jumped onto this and said, I'm going to watch Aftermath before I watch Waco or not watch Waco at all. I know um, that Drew and John Eric Dowdle, they kinda took uh like a hands off approach or they kinda tried to make this show as unbiased as possible where you weren't really on like the FBI side, but you also weren't completely on and they did this for the other show as well. No, uh, see, like that's not true. Oh really? Okay. <laughs> no, of course not, because the book that they're basing it off of is by David Thibodeau, who was one of the Waco survivors. Mm-hmm. So it is going to be biased. Like, that's 100% sure. Even afterwards, I always like to, like, look at the accuracy of things, and uh, and I'm usually pretty harsh with it, and I'm give, willing to give this one more of a pass because of how much of the unknown is there, how much differing accounts there are, but from this guy's account, he's obviously going to be a lot more flattering of the Branch Davidians than a lot of accounts. I know, you are 100% right. This was based on his book. In fact, uh, David Thibodeau was even at the 2018 premiere taking pictures alongside. He was in the first series. He He, was in it. Yeah, they had a cameo of him where he literally uh, was next to um, the Culkin that played him. Rory Rory Culkin, Culkin. yeah, and that's who he took pictures with at the premiere back in 2018. Yeah, he only has a small little part. He doesn't, I don't think, say any lines, but he just stands up and they, they point that out. But yeah, just having watched the previous uh, Waco for the first time, I have to say, across the board, wonderful acting, harrowing story, all-star cast, and I really, like, look, Paul Sparks, Taylor Kish, Michael Shannon, I've seen them all in other things. Paul Sparks I've seen in House of Cards, Get Shorty, uh, The Night Of, Thoroughbreds, he was the uncle in that. (laughs) Yeah, so I've seen him in a lot of stuff. Uh, Taylor Kish, Friday, Friday Night Lights, uh, True Detective. I never saw John Carter, but I know he was in that. In the Terminalist, he was really good as well. Uh-huh. Uh, Michael Shannon from Man of Steel, Knives Out, Shape of Water, Room 104. All of those things, I will say that their acting is worse than what they do in Waco. I think worse. Waco is probably <laughs> where, for sure with Taylor Kish, shines the most. Definitely respect them more now having seen their performances in that than I did in anything else. Wow. So, okay. So, yeah, actually pretty surprised that I hadn't heard of the show before and also that I hadn't really heard of the event. Not something that you really go over in history classes because of how so how recent it is, Yeah, I guess. Um, in but, fact, you sound like Michael Shannon. He said that he took one of the reasons he took the role as Gary Nosner was because he didn't know anything about him and really didn't know anything about Waco either. Yeah. So what I ended up learning and what he probably ended up learning, too, was that 1993 religious movement that believed the apocalypse was coming, the Branch Davidians led by David Koresh, uh, their messiah, was headquartered in Mount Carmel Center. There's actually still some Branch Davidians out there um, in a ranch. It's actually not in Waco. It's 13 miles northeast of Waco, or um, yeah, northeast of Waco in Axtell, Texas. And uh, that's where this botched attempt of the ATF, which stands for Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives Unit, um, they all, they come in there, I think later with the FBI and, uh, they just botched their attempt to try to produce a warrant and, uh, the seize those guns that they were housing there. And, uh, the, in the end, it just led to a lot of lives lost. Uh, 76, I think died one day after a 51 day standoff in a fire that was caused after tear gas had been like thrown in there. And, um, it's just a question as to whether or not someone inside lit the fire or if the fire just started from throwing tear gas in there. In fact, the, uh, the creators who again worked on the original Waco wanted to release this show of uh, 30 years, like a 30 year anniversary almost. Interesting. And, uh, yeah, it ended, I think on April 19th, 1993. And it started, I think February 28th, 1993 as well. So that this was like kind of the last week that they could really release this series while meeting that quota. Yeah. It's impossible 
impossible not to have it spark your interest because the the first show is like a nine to me, a nine out of ten. I would recommend it to anyone for the whole however, series. However, however, I jumped into the accuracy of it because I wanted to see like what the answers were, whether or not it was being truthful. And it's there's just so many conflicting accounts, and I just wish that there was one part that they hadn't done, and it would make uh, David a flattering character because they don't make him a saint. They say he's misguided, he's an egomaniac, he's narcissistic, he's sort of an asshole, and uh, ultimately he didn't do his call very many favors um, by not... Uh, but, but at the same time, they like they kind of glossed over stuff. They Every time they mentioned that he could be doing something illegal, they tried to make a caveat of like, well, in Texas, it actually is technically legal what he's doing. However, like there's other reporting that says he was having sex to like not just 14 year old girls, but even younger than that, and that he was more abusive than they relayed on the show. And Taylor Kish's performance, which I just lauded as being great, might just be too like nice to the guy. It made him seem like almost a rock star at certain <laughs> points. So um, they actually recast him in this second series, yet Taylor Kish remained an executive producer. So I think that still means that he was interested in the show, but they just didn't want having him playing himself 10 years younger nice, after nice. like, because that'd be more like 15 years. Um, and, uh, but it was sad that I don't get to see uh, that version of him. Maybe you'll see him later because we see like the back of his head in the intro. But I think again, that's played by the other guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I know that they tried to get like as many people as they could to come back to the series. So, I didn't get anything on Taylor Keish. So uh, should we talk about this pilot then? Or yes. the first episode? Okay. So it's called Waco the Aftermath Truths and Consequences. And it deals with the th three storylines. First is Gary Nesner. He was the negotiator for the FBI in the first season, and he was probably the nicest of all the characters in the FBI portrayed. He was the one with the conscience. He was the one trying to stop the thing. In real life, he actually left after 25 days of the 51, or 35 days of the 51 day standoff. But uh, in the show, he stays there nearly till the end. Mm -hmm. So th they did take some uh, liberties with that. But the three storylines are him. He's continuing his career as a negotiator. I know in real life he retired in 2003, but still it's 1994 at this point. The trial of the few survivors from Waco is happening where they're being charged with having killed these uh, some of the FBI members. And um, I don't remember exactly how many survivors there were, but they're, they're, we're seeing five of them here. And, um, and then we get these backflashes of uh, Vernon Howell, who is actually David Koresh. But that was before he changed his name back in the 80s when he first joined the Branch Davidians and we're getting more of a backstory to him and the prophet that he's under, Lois Roden, who is a real person, obviously, but uh, was played in this show by the lady from Succession. Mm -hmm, Jerry. By Jerry from <laughs> Succession. So it was weird seeing her. Um, yeah, and the real Lois served as a president of the sect until her death in 1986. Though mm -hmm. her leadership was challenged by even her son and I think her lover at one point. We do see her son there, and I think her lover may be David Koresh. Mm, okay. But like at the time, she was taking a nice fancy to him because he kept on talking about how he had these like yearnings of the flesh. It was it was <laughs> a little awkward there. Um, but here's the trial. I'll go into that first, right? So we got these five Waco survivors, one who actually wasn't even there during the when the whole siege went down and he's also being charged so he keeps on pointing that out he's like i wasn't there and they're like well then they're going to tell uh the jury that you provided the guns yeah because if one is found guilty then they're all guilty and uh that just seems like a horrible way to conduct a trial but i know you kind of get the option so i assume that they chose to do it that way i know that judge smith he was like a very oh, we'll get to judge smith. yeah he 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 came into this with obvious bias 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to get there. But like the the world at this point in 1994 has only or has mainly been presented with like Waco was a cult group that was terrible. And they're the ones who killed themselves, basically. Yeah. So David Koresh is kind of on trial, even though David Koresh is dead. And the judge seems pretty partial about that. He picks the jury despite the defense's objection. Like he doesn't let the defense have their I thought that was a like a constitutional right apparently not he allows the prosecutors to use stigmatized words like cult to describe the branch davidians so that like the jury can be biased and uh it, it's also just going to be an upheld battle for those lawyers yeah yeah and so that's kind of where it goes in and out the biggest uh development is that the lawyer has to present a plea deal to every single one of the five kind of like a prisoner's dilemma where he's offering any one of them, only 15 years or parole in jail, um, and they just have to sell out all their friends who will then go <laughs> yeah. to jail forever. Um, and it looks like none of them are going to take the deal because they all were through, went through this tragedy together. But then, of course, one of them does. And so the other four are left like having to just deal with that. And the lawyer has to change his entire like approach instead of trying to argue that they had... Uh, because one of them have turned state's witness that means that they're going to point the finger and say everything that these four have said is a lie right right so the lawyer has to lay out the harsh reality that the jury isn't going to believe that the fbi was at fault even if they were and the only way that they're going to gain, gain sympathy is if they play the victim and make it seem like david was brainwashing them manipulating them and a cult leader who forced them to fight so they have to accept half of the stuff that they want to fight which is the fact that they were being brainwashed and that this was not some misplay by the government, but instead they have to just accept that and say, okay, we're crazy because we followed this guy and we shouldn't be held accountable and for And did that. you end up feeling bad for the survivors when that happened? It's kind of like in the first season where you kind of just understand why things are happening. They're explaining them to you and it makes sense even if you don't agree with it, even if you don't feel like it's just or fair. That's kind of what you learn to just put up with because you're seeing the events of how they unfolded. And uh, yeah, it was done effectively. Um, the other interesting thing that they do in the middle of all that is do the flashbacks with Vernon where he's arriving at uh, Carmel and he is just this newbie at this point. So it's weird seeing the same haircut, the same sort of beard as uh, Taylor Kish was wearing. But now we get more information about how he rose to power. I think they're almost doing a correction here because in the first series, you would be uh, it would be hard for you not to see David as being the one who started the movement. And so now it feels like they're actually providing more context that the Branch Davidians were not simply this guy's, because they're called the Branch Davidians. So when you hear the guy's name is right, David, David Koresh and he's the Messiah, you think, okay, he started up his own cult. No, this thing survived or uh, started in like the 50s. So it was just and a so coincidence. It feels like the show was, or the showrunners were like, we can actually um, like give more insight on that. And so that's what they did. And uh, he's obsessed with the Bible, David is, or uh, Vernon is, and he's dyslexic, but he's still, no, he, that's the only book that he's able to read. So that's where he decides that he's going to make his way to Texas. He meets the group. He's he's really involved with them. And that's where the prophet takes the interest in him and invites him to Israel by the end of the episode. He invites him to Israel. Yeah, because she takes a yearly trip to Israel to like reignite her faith or something. I don't know. But uh, this is right after he said that he like masturbates a ton every single day. Because um, <laughs> he was, yeah, whatever. Does he, does he accept that? In, like, does, Is he going to go to Israel? Yeah, I think he's way into the idea. Um, he also defends the prophet at one point. I think it's going to be one of those deals where he's like gets really close with her and then he starts 
starts to fight her until like half the group wants to go with him and then yeah she dies and mm-hmm. then he becomes the next savior um but uh the last storyline that we have here is gary's and so that's michael shannon's character the one that i think most people have been sold on for this show because he's the he's on the cover mm-hmm. and he's fed up with the Waco nonsense. He had to watch it on TV knowing he had the ability at one point to stop it, but wasn't able to. Um, and this was right before OJ also. So oh, yeah. Like, this is the first time that I people really that. were watching something in like real time. That was kind oh, of Oh, yeah, yeah. Because it wasn't the first time people tuned in. Because I know with Vietnam War, people were really glued to their TVs. It just wasn't live. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, so he's working on this case in Arkansas, as opposed to Texas, where there's Wild Bill, a Nazi inside a bank with a hostages, with a bunch of hostages. Wild Bill. Yeah, Wild Bill. And so the deal with Wild Bill is he's conducted a bunch of robberies, but he's never hurt anyone. He's been able to get away with <laughs> with a bunch of money. <laughs> like La Casa de Papel almost. A little bit, but this guy's a Nazi Obviously, and he's crazy. Yeah. Gary gets him to leave, promising him basically a movie deal um, by saying like, hey, if you don't kill anyone, if you don't get anyone hurt, what you've done is pretty fantastic as far as being a Robin Hood. So as soon as you leave for jail, sure, you'll have to serve a lot of time. But once you're out, then you get to sell your rights off to your story and you're going to be in for a big paycheck. And I guess that was that won him over. That's enough. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 what's his alternative? That he tries to escape on a helicopter? Because that's what he wanted to do. But like that's it. But was this just for the first episode to see how Michael Shannon deals with this No, that situation? was like in the first few minutes for him. He gets Wild Bill out of there quick. But then he's not satisfied with what how it worked out exactly. So he goes and he investigates a little bit more. And he finds this picture of the Branch Davidian flag. So Wild Bill had said something about uh, payback, right? Uh-huh. And, uh, and that's what got him interested. And so um, Gary then finds the picture. And he's like, this flag was made by David Koresh. And so if this white supremacist has something to do with it, it, it's there's something going on that's screwy here. And where's the money and stuff like that. So he follows that lead and he finds about uh, he finds out about this place called Elohim City, which is like a white supremacist colony militia group. And there's money and guns. And and, and it seems like it could be the new Waco just setting up. These Mm -hmm. people want a civil war. They don't want an apocalypse, but they want they guess they're championing what happened in Waco. And so he's seeing the writing on the wall. He also tracks down Wild Bill's girlfriend and Wild Bill's girlfriend. We saw in our last show in, in Florida, man. She was Deli. Oh, really? Yeah. Deli is in this show. She plays a lady named Carol Howe. And it just calls her a former Southern debutante turned neo-Nazi. Um, and yeah, remember I said that she was a supermodel and the other thing. Mm-hmm. So I didn't even recognize her in this, but because she's playing more of a kind of crazy person. But what she's going to end up doing, just based off the next little tidbit that we get in the trailer for the next episode, is she's going to turn and start working for the FBI as an informant. And then she's going to go into, uh, I guess, Elohim City and like try to get the facts out. Huh. Yeah. Okay. So those are the storylines that are going on. It's it's pretty interesting I, I, stuff. I want to touch upon just yeah. the uh, the Gary Nesner storyline really fast because you said a term that interests me. You said that these people want a civil war. And Michael Shannon said, among all the other reasons he took this role, that the contemporary resonance is what persuaded him to really There are start. a few lines, especially in this one, in, this, uh, in the 2023 version, where I thought, okay, they added that specifically for now and it had to do with the anger in the government um he like looks almost directly at the camera and he's like i think the fbi is feeding this anger in our world yeah he, like, I, looks away. i mean funny. drew and john eric dowdle yeah. did say that one of their most memorable and i think 
first, maybe even writer's room meeting was on January 6, 2021. And when they were seeing the footage of what was happening at the Capitol, it reminded them a lot of not only Waco, but like just kind of the anger that they've had to like research mm -hmm. and things like that. But you said a lot of people are in this show. Do you want to like touch on some? Not just this show, but also the first ones. Like when you can throw Julia Gardner and uh, Eric Lane from, um, he's from uh, Unbelievable, and just have them as like the 50th name down. <laughs> Like that's crazy. This this had quite the cast. The original one and this this version of it, uh, they've just thrown in a bunch of new people. Who one person from Dobsek, John Hugenacker. Wow, that's an interesting name. Uh, he was he was one of the detectives or FBI people in Dobsek. He's he's here. He's one of the people who are on trial. Um, you just got a long list of, of of really famous folk. I would say that this show is probably right now. This pilot was like a seven out of ten. It wasn't nearly as good as any of the single episodes from the 2018 version but that's just because the energy isn't the same no, it's sense. still informative it's still a good watch um i will still continue to watch it the episode was a little shorter too it feels like this doesn't have to exist like mm -hmm. like the original miniseries was a real miniseries that it was just popular so popular that they decided to bring it back for this thing yeah. and i'm happy they did but at the same time, it's not going to be as good as the other. Sh so yeah, seven. seven okay, uh, seven. Yeah, I know that the show, the like the first one had a seven point nine on IMDb. This one has a six point nine, and also it didn't have a tomato meter at least as of yesterday. But it did have like two runs and one tomato. However, the reviews have been all over the place. You mm -hmm. have like AV Club giving this show a B plus. Then you have CNN, which said it, we gave it a positive review. It said the series bites off more than it can chew, but effectively makes its case connected the past to the present then you have decider though which says skip it and collider which titled their review michael shannon fights a losing battle in this unnecessary sequel and then you have places like outkick calling it fantastic so it's kind of get hard to get a read in terms of the uh, like the critical consensus for this thing but overall it's i would just say it's gotten like mixed reviews probably the thing that like actually bugs me about the original show is that you have Mitch Decker's character who's this FBI agent and he plays the foil to uh, Gary's character. Gary is the down-to-earth one. He's the one who's pulling out these people. He's trying to remain steady-headed but Mitch he's the gun ready like he's toting. He's telling people that they got to get in there. He's trying to convince uh, I, I guess the attorney general to like gas these people. He is the one who doesn't really see them as people but when he starts when they start gassing them and the gas lights on fire and he's running out there he's seen bodies burn he's seen david's wife try desperately to get out of the building and he's literally got her by the hand and you see just like this re realization like wash over his face and you think the character the guy who plays him shay wiggum um does a really good job but like it makes you think okay well maybe this guy in the afterwards was super regretful remorseful and like took some responsibility mm -hmm. now by this series you see that he's back to his old ways he doesn't care he's fighting gary and he's basically dug in his heels about them having done everything by the book and correctly and that they were at no fault whatsoever and uh. it was just sad to see that happen because it was like okay you're back to being a dick Did it, you so had like one second where it looked like you might have your uh, i don't know remorse Did, it. so it worked for the show like it wasn't like it's probably things. super accurate to what yeah. happened but yeah i wish there was more like knowledge exactly but like they've done a bunch of 
investigations and well not only that this isn't actually the first series about waco to come out this year Uh, on netflix too. waco american apocalypse yeah it was a three-part series that was released on netflix only a couple weeks ago i think march 22nd but like it's funny because the waco series a few years ago was on netflix as well and then they moved it from there like it just keeps bouncing around (laughs) i didn't even know that yeah uh yeah i will just say uh, drew and john eric dowdle again they're the creators they have worked on a lot of horror films quarantine devil as above so below you said they're brothers, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. No yeah. escape. And uh, the only one they actually didn't write for as well was The Devil, because I think, or Devil, because I think that was written by uh, M. Night Shyamalan. The that only was the elevator, yeah. Yeah. The only other TV show that they've worked on has been Joe Pickett, and they were the writers, executive producers, developers, and directors for that as well. For C.J. Box's book, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's about that, it. That was a Spectrum series that, like, it said it was going to make its way onto some other platform, but and I don't I know if it, it ever did. And I think it said that it was going to have a season two as well, but I don't know if that's I mean, the the Joe Piggott character has a ton of books, so that would make sense. But we're getting a little bit away from Waco at this point. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's still maybe Texas, but... (laughs) Okay, well, thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next episode. Hope you enjoyed this one. Bye. Bye.